HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, open year-round. Learn more at bbg.org. I'm Souther Teague of Amoria Margo and a co-host of The Speakeasy right here on Heritage Radio Network. You know, my favorite thing to do every week is to come here and be on the show. I have lots of jobs. I'm a very busy person. Um, and I do this because I love it. I get to sit down and talk to all my heroes for about an hour every week. It's incredible. And I hope that you enjoy it, making a great effort to share with you. And we'd like you to share back with us. It's our summer fundraiser, and we'd love for you to donate uh, at heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate. You can click on the beating heart, and you can even choose shows that you'd like to donate to specifically. And you can also choose a recurring monthly uh, gift. Uh, and for all that, we'd be greatly appreciative. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week's theme is youth. We'll have a report on how migrant children separated from their families at the U.S. border are being housed and fed. Right now, what we're very worried about is just the influx of kids created by this zero-tolerance policy. We'll also look into a program that's ensuring free summer meals for kids are only a text message away. Summer is the hungriest time of year for a kid who may not have that safety net of school meals. We discover a new home economics curriculum. I'm not trying to raise a generation of chefs. I'm trying to raise a generation of nourishers who can nourish themselves. And we meet a teen chef who's talked his way into several of New York's top kitchens. I never try and be, like, annoying about it, but I really want to get my foot in the door. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet in 3, available at heritageradionetwork.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we have Chef Greg Prochel of Ferris, Made Hotel, and Tommy, who both speak about how hating a job will drive you to work harder to find something that you love. So sit back, relax, and welcome to another episode of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. What kind of love takes you under its wings? Gets you so high that you can't feel a thing. 
Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. That which is Tommy, who's going to be live in studio later today. Uh, first up, though, we have Chef Greg Prochel from Ferris. Welcome. How you doing? Thank, thank you, you for me. thank you for leaving the kitchen. Ah, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's it, nice to have any excuse out. So thank you. I, I read that you, uh, as of April 2018, you've worked every single service. Is that still going true? No, no, <laughs> no. I I think grew up a little and <laughs> took a day off. Um, now, like I today's Sunday is usually my day off, so this is like a nice, nice little uh, departure from everything else. But, Perfect. Yeah, actually, it, I left and the place didn't burn down, so I think I did my job well. <laughs> this time, it <laughs> yeah, didn't this, burn down. This time. <laughs> um, speaking about growing up, uh, you've talked about family, all of your memories revolving around food. 
What's something that immediately takes you back? A dish or some type of uh, recall for your childhood? Uh, I mean, that's really tough. Uh, clams, definitely. My grandfather made the best like baked clams I've ever had in my life. Still to this day, like nothing beats it. But also just grilling. Like always, we would be grilling. Always somewhere in New Jersey. Uh, we spent time in Vermont, and like it was always grilling. Like so, when I see a grill, that like brings me back immediately. Did he teach you how to make his clams? Uh, yes, very late. He explained it. He never taught me. I don't think. I think there was probably a secret in there that he didn't that he didn't want to divulge. But he taught me pretty well. Is there? Did he? Is was there a reason he kept it so close to his? Uh, given the fact that you were on your way. No, to... but I, but I mean, I think also like what made him so good is the actual like the eating them. You know, with everybody and like and like it was very rustic and it was just like it was kind of like you know, really slutty. There's like a lot of like butter and like clam juice. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just like, it's a, it's, it was just like a really cool experience that I did with my whole family. So that I think really added to like the thing that made it so good or so special. If that makes sense. It makes complete sense. It's interesting that he explained them, but never like sat down yeah. side by side. Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't get, I didn't get really into cooking till like later in life, like where I really, really wanted to do it. I knew it was something I wanted to do. And unfortunately at that time he was kind of declining in health so he was able to explain it like he wrote everything down for me but like I never got to actually like cook side by side with him as much as I would have liked. Have you ever tried putting that dish on the menu? No, I don't think I ever want to. I don't want to. That, 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 that's like mine. You Too know, much like Yeah, it's just like, I, I don't know if I'll ever do it justice. I make it at home all the time, and I'm always like, yeah, they're good, but... They're not they're, grandpas. They're not, they're, they're not grandpas. And, and speaking of coming to cooking later in life, you didn't go to school originally to be a chef. You no, went I, for economics? Yeah, I went to <laughs> Wesley University, which actually had an amazing music program. Um, that's where I kind of learned to play guitar, because I realized that I could not go to, I guess, quote unquote, real class and take a full credit just playing guitar with a really cool dude. And it was great. So that's when I learned it a lot. But um, yeah, I, um, I, I wanted to go to cooking right away. Um, I kind of found it in my senior year in college. But um, right after that, I wanted to go into cooking. And my, uh, it just made, I think, sense to kind of try out. But I had to like bust my ass like for my degree to try it out. But like I knew, I knew day one. like. In the, in the financial world, I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah, what was, I mean, you, because you went into it. It wasn't like some people who do it and like, cool, parents are appeased. Everyone, great, I got my degree now. Like, you went into the financial sector. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. Um, not something I would ever want to do again, but I'm, I'm happy I did it. But it's just like, I don't know, the office life, not, not something I want to do. I just couldn't sit around by a computer all day. It was just not something I wanted to do, ever. <laughs> I mean, I went to business school and then immediately got an internship doing events on a couch and disappointed Amazing. my whole family, <laughs> like, uh, immediately, and they couldn't figure out why doing it. But there are still lessons that I took from Ex being there. Exactly. So, so, like, I mean, you know, obviously with the economics background, but, like, what are some of the things that still carry through uh, from the education? I mean, you know, like, running a restaurant is all about numbers. It really is. Um, and, like, putting together a menu, putting together food costing, it's, like, very... And, like, we have very low margins in the restaurant industry. So I think, like, that definitely gave me kind of a leg up to, like, that I kind of understood this stuff going into it. But, I mean, direct, not really. I mean, you know, there's not many things that really travel through. I mean, unless the whole experience was learning what not to do, that's, that's pretty much a big part of cooking is just learning what you shouldn't be doing um, or, like, how not to solve a problem. Yeah, because from from ICE you went to um, Eleven Madison Park. Yeah, I got an externship there, and I went right into it, and they hired me out of it. Which I thought that, and you've talked about saying you learned how to work there. So yes. What is the concept yes. of, of how to? I work? mean, I think they 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 teach you discipline. They they taught me 
like, I mean, I was, I had no experience in a kitchen. My, I had to stage there, uh, you know, unpaid day to see if I could work there unpaid to finish out my school. Um, and I, that was the first time I actually stepped foot inside a professional kitchen. And I'm sure your parents loved it. Like, so let us, let, let's run the numbers here. We paid for Wesley <laughs> and, um, you left, you are yep. now begging to work yep. for free. Yep. Um, are you sure you studied economics? Yeah. Did no, you pay attention? The, the, <laughs> the numbers didn't make sense, but you know what? I mean, I think, you know, when you're out of your comfort zone, that's like, um, those are like the good memories. Like when you're like when your back's against the wall or when you're like pressured into doing something or like you're in an uncomfortable situation, those are like memories that you do remember a lot. So, I mean, I, I loved it. I was totally out of place. I was older. I mean, I was a, I started cooking, I think when I was 26 and that's like, you know, that's pretty old to start and it's a taxing hard job. And it was at what was one of the best, I mean, still is one of the best restaurants in the world. So, uh, it was definitely Interesting. An and interesting I'm, transition. And I'm sure you made mistakes when you Every single... Oh, my. I was getting yelled at all day long. But how does that how does that work? Just for people who don't know, because what we see as diners is absolute perfection. Yeah. But I behind mean, the, once you go behind well, the, the doors, how are how are you making those mistakes? How are they getting corrected? And how are we not noticing it as... Um, as I mean, there's I think there's a couple trains of thought. I mean, a lot of teachers in this industry, it's, you know, there's, there's a proactive way. There's also just yelling at people, which... That definitely wasn't one of those places. I mean, I was getting yelled at by like I was getting like stern talkings too. Like, um, but you, I had a great first teacher, and he really played the dad card well. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just oh. disappointed. Yeah, oh. which that one hurts. If like if you care about what you're doing, that like cuts to your core. So I constantly, I I I'm very happy about it. This guy's name is Chris Flint, and uh, he was very tough on me. But I mean, I know that he was like the like probably the you know, the foundation of my career because he really taught me how to work and he taught me how to work well and fast and made me like, he, he got the best out of me. And that's, I think the hardest thing about when you're teaching people is like trying to find the way to get the best out of people because, you know, it's, it's a tough world and there's a lot of things going on that you have to like kind of like prioritize and then really focus on what you're doing. And it's not like you're doing like a presentation and then your boss is editing it, you're cooking food that you have, so you're learning in real time and making mistakes you, and feeling awful. You and just generally have one chance. Yeah. I mean, you, you have one chance to do it well. I mean, and that's, that was something that I really learned um, when I was at Blanca is like, you know, like we had one piece of lamb to cook for these 12 people or 13 people. It's like, you don't mess it up because if you mess it up, you just don't serve it. And that's like, that hurts. Like these people are traveling. People are the guests are like paying a lot of money for a really special experience. And if you can't do it well just once, it's like it's it sounds very easy because like you just got to do it well once. But it's like it has to be perfect once a night, all the time, every time yeah. you do it. Every and no, and you can't time. tell anybody. No, you understand. Last week we nailed it. So sorry about tonight, but last yeah, week yeah. we had, you should you should have been like our, a show. Yeah, you should have been on our last show. Our last yeah. show, everybody loved. Yeah, it. Yeah, it was packed. We sold all the merch out tonight. Not so good. But if you were here, you go, you came on the wrong night. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and like that's that's a funny thing. It's like especially like when you talk about critics. It's like, you know, a critic will have one meal at a place, and like say it's like one guy or one girl out of like eighty people, and like seventy nine people are like, oh, that was awesome, and then like critics are like, I don't like it. Be like, well. Did you see? Did, were you there? Like people liked it. Like, come on. Like uh, we already took the vote, and everybody liked it. We're still. They're still coming in. <laughs> yes. Um, so you know, it's it's tough. And what did you pick up um, at Blanca? And you were also at Graffiti uh, along the way before you ended up. Yeah, at the um, gra Graffiti was um, that was a uh, that like kind of opened my eyes to like a, a way of cooking. Like um, he was very experimental, very kind of like juvenile, and like his like um, 
like he was very playful with his food, and I think that's definitely uh, made a very lasting effect. And in Blanca, I mean, Carlo uh, just kind of taught me just to think differently. I mean, a lot of what I learned at Blanca, I still see in my cuisine, just the style, just the way to treat things. Um, I mean, his cooking takes a lot of confidence. Um, it's a lot of like very small ingredients, very low manipulation in the ingredients. Like it's like, we're just gonna find really good stuff, put it together, and if, if it's really good ingredients coming together and it makes sense, it's harmonious. Like if it doesn't, you know, that's tough. It's like you can do 10 different techniques to, to like an ingredient, but you know, sometimes, like we use peaches on one of our menu. It's three ingredients. It's peaches, cream, and like a Wagyu steak. And it's like, if the Wagyu's not perfect, if the caramelized cream's not perfect, and the peaches aren't perfect, it's still good. But like making, having those perfect ingredients is what really kind of sets it up. And that's what I like. I mean, I think in the beginning of Ferris, especially in the beginning of me being a chef, like I was trying to do too much. And like now our, our, like our most current menu is like very minimalistic and it's very like pure and like, it just makes a lot of sense. And I think it's like, it's very cool because we've, you know, this is uh, season three and we've met, we've made three menu changes and I think this one is our best, but it's like. I like the feeling of that. Like, and that's like a young new restaurant, like especially small ones. I feel like you can feel it more. Like I felt a lot when I went to Contra during their opening. It's like, you feel like there's like, there's a, there's a sense of feeling of a young restaurant. That's like, they're pushing for something. And then like, they're changing stuff like almost daily until they find something. And like, that's what we always joke around about is like, we will play with a dish, play with a dish until we crush it until it's like, it's just perfect. And they're like, let's change it. Let's get out of here. Like we, we, we did that. Like it's done. Let's move on. Like, You've been cooking for 10 years or... Yeah, you know. well, actually not even. I would say maybe like, I would say eight. Eight, like really, really intensely. So it's really different. It's, you know, my brother and I always joke, we didn't get our first tattoos tattoos until we were older. And so we like skipped all of like the bad tattoo years. <laughs> and for you, as opposed to, you know, starting cooking when you're 15, 16 and just doing that, you had much more consciousness of what you're putting together. From all the different um, places that you cooked at, when did you feel that it became your own vision, that you weren't just replicating other people's dishes or, you know, Carlos is like cooking with comps. Like when did it become like Greg's, like this is my point of view? I mean, I think, I think it had to have been, you know, the first menu at Ferris. I mean, that was my, my, um, the owners uh, really had a lot of faith in me and they were very, we like during the menu process of like the menu development, it was relatively quick and painless. And I mean, I think we opened up with a really, really, really strong menu and it was because, you know, it wasn't like, oh, you have to make sure you have one of these, you know, you have to have a vegetarian option of this. It's just like, it kind of grew organically and like same way with the, like the whole space, our whole team. It's like, it kind of just came together and it was just, it just made sense. So, um, having not to like go under those like really rigid rules of like, we need to have this, this is our cuisine. There wasn't like a cuisine. We were we use the word exciting as like, because everyone asks you that. Everyone's like, well, what kind of food do you do? What kind of food do you do? And I, I still don't know. I have no idea what kind of food I cook. I know, I know what influences me and like kind of what I want to, I want to give the guests, but like, I have, I have no idea what a one word like description. So we just like exciting. And everybody's like, that doesn't count. <laughs> and we're like, well, that's, that's our answer. We're excited by yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm very good at dodging questions. I really don't like answering questions, especially like best subs. Like I just like, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm all over the place all the time. So we're just like, it's, it's an exciting cuisine. We're gonna not, the, a, not the best marketing, by the way. <laughs> we're going to take a quick musical break, play a song from our archives. This is actually Tommy's early band, XMY who were previous Snacky Tunes guests in September 2013, which none of us can believe it's been almost five years. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Greg here on Snacky Tunes. 
cover me and drag my bones. My lover told me I was headed home. Where'd you go? I gathered all your favorite things. I told you I felt nothing. I was headed home. Where'd you go? How long can you keep this up? How far do you feel anything? Ferris is located in the Maid Hotel. Yes. When you, you said that it was an easy process coming up with the, the menus, did you have to have any consideration that you were going to be a hotel restaurant? 
Uh, I mean, there was that, but we never, we never let that kind of um, like permeate our process. Like it, it, we knew that we were located in a restaurant. I mean, in a hotel, but like we were still a restaurant. Like we didn't want that to really um, kind of sway any of our opinions. And we do offer food upstairs in the lobby level. That is ours. I mean, we do all the food for the entire hotel in one really small kitchen. So. Um, the only kind of um, influence that it had was how are we going to make it work because it is a lot going on coming out of a tiny kitchen with one walk-in and almost a non-existent dry storage. So um, I think it helped us plan better, but it didn't really... We, we didn't want to really make food that catered to particular people. We just wanted to make good food, and we were just hoping that it would reach a broad audience. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it really influenced like what we would serve but like obviously in our lobby level like we had to hit points that we wanted to hit so for those who don't know what it takes to run F&B in a hotel uh, can you <laughs> can you explain um you need to be okay not sleeping for a very long time um and they don't let you have a room and they no actually they <laughs> do let me have a room that's sometimes a that's actually that is honestly probably the only reason why I was able to make work there's I spent many nights there. The lovely rooms. The beds are really comfortable. Um, but I mean, I actually prefer the banquets. I sleep on those pretty much <laughs> daily. Um, no, I mean, it's just it's it's a lot to wrap your head around. But it's you know, it's just it's it's food. Um, you can make it work. Uh, but it takes a lot. It takes a lot of organization because there's really never a point where you're not you're not serving food. I mean, it's 24 hours. We do IRD like the in-room dining like. There's a there's a lot to kind of um, to kind of wrap your head around, but it's at, at one point it's like it's very intimidating. But once you have your systems in place, it makes it much easier. And it's also like if you have a good staff. I mean that's that's, that's make a break. And that's and that and that's and that's New York in general. I mean I, I hope it gets better, but you know it's it's bad. It's bad now. It's bad a couple of years ago. I mean I'm hoping it's going to get better, and I think it will. But that's why. I was luckily blessed with a really good team, and I still have a really good team. So that makes that makes it a lot easier. And how do you deal with people who are the, like just want you know a burger and we, and and we, we, we serve that upstairs? Yeah, I mean we serve that in the lobby level, and there's and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean you know that's like one of those things that it's like it's funny you say the burger because everybody I think a lot of chefs are just like oh burger, and like look at look at like Emily like their burger is ri- like ridiculously good. It's like probably I think the best one I've ever had like. I, I, I don't I don't see how there's one that's better. Um, and, you know, we took that as like, you know what, like, all right, we're going to have to do a burger, but let's let's make it a really good one. And like, let's make really good fries. Like, like we wanted to make sure that no matter what we did, it was really good. We didn't want to have any throwaway dishes. And that's like our breakfast too. our breakfast is super solid. I think, you know, I, I work for a hotel as mm-hmm. well, and I think that there is people who travel and they just want that comfort. You yeah. Know? Especially if you're on the road. Or something safe. Know, or something safe. Yeah, I mean, you know, the cut to beef that you give, and that, that maybe that's not for everyone. No, and like a, a plate of blood sausage is like, you know, that's maybe after a 15-hour flight, you don't want a plate of blood sausage. I mean, that's we're going to hang out if you yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I like you. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's. I, I think there's, and I think that's what, like, a, we have a nice balance. Like, our menu, weird, like, it, it reads, I think, way more complicated than it is. Um, because when you eat it, it's like, it's like comforting stuff. Like, it's nothing... It's it's definitely challenging in some respects, but I mean I think it it all makes sense, and I think that's what people want. They people want that comfort, and I, and I and I get that. I mean I get if I'm traveling, and like especially if it's a if it's a different country, you know you don't know, you don't you know you don't know where you're gonna get. I mean like everyone that goes to like Copenhagen, like 
there's like hot dogs that they get. And they're like, it's amazing hot dogs. Everyone from New York is like, they have the best hot dogs. And I was like, yeah, but you're coming from New York. Like, that's like, you know, that's it. You're just walking. Like, there's times where I'm not hungry and I'm walking by a hot dog cart. I'm like, well, I smelt that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to get one because why not? Now that you are running uh, the kitchen, how are you giving back and educating your staff? How are you finding that balance? Well, I mean, I, I am very much a working chef. I mean, Saturday, like, for example, like, you know, we're having trouble staffing, as always, and um, as every restaurant in New York is. And I wanted to give my guys a little bit of break. So, like, I, I didn't open to close, which is, like, it's long. It's, you know, it's 6 a.m. till 11 p.m. Um, it's, it's, it's a long day. Um, and I think that's, that's the way, I mean, I'm, I'm in there, I'm in there every day with the guys. I'm in the trenches. Like I'm not, I don't walk around with a clipboard. I'm not that kind of guy. Like I, I prep, I like to help. I like to be involved. And like, I think that's what they learn from. They, they see me working hard. And I think, uh, I think that's a big part of respect too, is like, you know, there's, you don't have to do that all the time. That's not the only way to teach. That's why I like to teach. I like to be next to the, next to my guys, showing them exactly what to do. Like, like learning from them at the same time as me teaching them. I mean, you can learn from anybody in this industry, no matter who they are. What's something that you picked up from your chefs? Ooh, um, I mean, that's that's a hard one. I picked up everything. Like for my cooks, uh, I have uh, one guy who worked in Charleston for a very long time. This guy sang, and he has a lot of like uh, sushi knowledge. And like, there is just ways that he cuts stuff that just is better. And like, I learned that from him. I mean, um, our blood sausage dish. Uh, was based on me and my uh, CDC, Tyler. I mean, he used some of his experience, and then we, I brought my experience, and that's a lot of times how we create. There's, there's, um, I mean, there definitely are a few dishes that are just our mind that I'm like, we're gonna do this, this, and this, but a lot of it is, it, we collaborate. I mean, I think it's like, it's it's very similar to a band. I mean, like, there's, unless there's one guy, unless it's like Beck, who's learned, who's playing every instrument and producing all the music, um, you know, everything that we do is, uh, about the sum of our parts, like everything, everything and everything. And it could be just someone just throwing out a random idea. And even if that idea is wrong, it makes us think about something that might be better that's very similar to that. So it's like very, it's very collaborative. And I think that's like one of the really cool things. It's not just, this is the way we do it. This is the only way to do it. Like we're constantly improving. And if we're not taking outside influences from everybody that's actually doing it, I mean, I don't work the grill station every day. So the guy that's working the grill station probably knows it a little bit better than me at this point. So like, we're always feeding off each other, just trying to make, trying to make ourselves better every day. I mean, that's, that's what this is about. It's literally what cooking is about, just getting better every day. And then, and then everybody's like, well, then you get to be the best, but that's not true. Like you just keep learning, you keep getting better. It's just, you're perfecting your craft. That's all it is. And then people are stakeholders and not just executing somebody's vision. They actually feel ownership. Exactly. I mean, I think that's, those are, those are the funnest kitchens that I've ever worked in. Um, I mean, I've worked in ones that where you're literally a drone, but like you're learning really good stuff from people that have been doing it for a very long time. But um, actually, actually, that's and that's a big part of honestly why I got out of finance because I was just, I was just felt like I was just a tiny cog in this huge machine and I was doing nothing. Like I, I didn't get any satisfaction or anything. But like, if you collaborate on a dish and you're putting that dish up every night and it gets well received, it's like, yeah, that's, that's great, man. Like that's like really cool to do, especially for young cooks. Like. That's like that's what they wanted, and like most of the time, they're they don't have that opportunity where they're actually able to contribute and able to like bring things to the table and be excited about stuff. Because like we want people excited about the food, we don't want them just to go through the motions. And I know that you joked about exciting as being that, but your food does have a theatrical sense oh, to 100%. it. Oh, hundred percent, it always does. Yeah, I and, like I like that, man. And how and where does that come from? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I play guitar like my whole life, and that's like I like performing. I think in front of people, but I mean, I just like. Like the one, like our, our main, um, especially the turtle was a chicken, but here's our Cote de Boeuf. And like, we do a, 
like a progression of drops on the dish. Like we do with the beef first and then we do a side and then we do another side and then we do something else. And like, that's the whole point of that is it's like, it's like, you know, it's not the most expensive piece of beef, but it's like a big money item. And we want people to like, it's a small dining room. So we want people who order that. It's like all eyes kind of turn on them. Like you smell the dried beef hat walking through the dining room and like people turn their head and like, it makes that table feel like, you know, like the, the cool guys just for like that moment. And like, and then they eat it and it's good. So like that's 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 to me the most important thing. But I think I think it's like it's like cool. It's cool to like and I don't know if it's you know, I like to make more like uncomfortable situations a little more uncomfortable. That's kinda of why I find humor in that. So like if people don't like that, it's like I mean, you know, you don't have to deal with that. Like all the attention's on them. Like we make it a big deal. And also that's the one that has the East Bound and Down. Yes, reference. all the fixins. Yes. That was that was I I'm a little little upset because when I uh Charles my my operator, I um I told him that I want to have like eight X's, like fixins, like 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 properly, but we decided against that, unfortunately. Was that a long conversation? Uh, no, that was a really quick one, the <laughs> fixins. But the X's was that was a couple of days back and forth. But no, but like I said, re- like literally the minute we put that on, we we like this kind of this the idea. We always wanted to do a big steak, but the idea of it just kind of came out of nowhere, just during during um just like uh, pre-opening we we're just trying a bunch of stuff and then like we just were like let's just do a bunch of really cool sides because me and my cdc we, we love bonchons like we love where you go to like k-town and they just keep dropping like and it's like literally you have a table full of condiments and like i love that so we decided to kind of go on that route um and then immediately once we did that we're like just like i forgot i forgot how it came up but, like one of us was just like all the fixins and like it just stuck and because <laughs> like, everybody we were all laughing and like it was funny but it was like at the same time, it was just really good. So it was just like, you know, I never, I never want to be that serious in a kitchen. Like, it's a fun environment. Like, there's a lot of personalities. It's, like, really, really a cool place to work. So, like, we, want, we, we always want to have fun with it. Like, we're, we're, we're very, very serious about what we do, but we are very not serious about pretty much everything else. And for those who don't know, Charles is your front of house. Yes, he's our operator, uh, Charles Syke. He came from, like, a major food group a lot, and... Um, he, we kind of got put together by, uh, the guy who built the hotel, this guy, Sam Jellin, and he actually, I uh, went to high school with him and we kind of both diverged. I went finance, he went law, and then we bought it. kind of just came full circle. Oh, so you and, guys are like, great. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was like, we just came full circle. And, that, and that's, that's also a really nice thing. Everybody says like, you know, don't get into business with friends, but if it's like the right friend, like it works, like it works, it works great. Like he, he can, he can read me really well. He's luckily provided me with a lot of great things. It's just like, it just was like seamless. And then Charles kind of came in um, because of Sam who met him. And then we just kind of hit it off right away. And I think like that relationship that we have, it, you, you feel it in the restaurant. Like if there's, if there's people in the restaurant that don't like each other, you feel it. Like it's palpable. Um, and like we just all have a lot of fun. Like it's one of, it's one of the few places I've worked where like there's really no front of house, back of house drama. And that's like, that's like, that's, that's a rare thing. And like, we're trying to keep that going. And like, I think that's a big selling point of our place is that like, you know, it's like, if you look at us when we're like in the middle of service, you know, and it's a very open kitchen, like in, I'm a pretty weird looking dude. You can't really miss me. Um, and I'm at the pass and like, you know, we're always laughing, having fun, throwing, like, it's just, it's just like a fun environment. That's what, that's always what we want. We never want something serious. And you're also, uh, I don't know if you have done, but attempting to do zero waste as well, which yeah, for a hotel tough, is dude, like, it's tough. It's tough. Hats man. off to that. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, um, you know, it takes a lot of creativity, but, um, luckily like we like making sausages a lot. We like making a lot of sausages and like literally 
for all beef trim and like all meat trim, it's like very easy to use that. Um, dehydrator is great, great for all vegetable trim. Um, and also we just happen to have like good family meals because, <laughs> because we don't want to waste it. But it's like, it's like, it, I think those are, those are really good things to do is like when you're, um, when you're trying to not waste, it really, it forces you to create, which is not necessarily the best way. Like no one wants to be forced like, Hey, you have to do a dish with this. But then if you are in that situation where you're forced to like, say like, Hey, we got like, I don't know, we got like 10 pounds of rhubarb that's about to go bad. What are we going to do with it? Um, and that actually happened like a week ago. And then like, we have three different guys on our line who are all trying different stuff. And it's like, that's, what's great about it is it's like, you are forced to create, but also at the same time is like, you're kind of doing something good. And like, we don't want to waste anything ever because you know, we want to make money. Um, and it's like, it's not only from that standpoint, but from the standpoint of just like, we, that's just, that's just kind of the way I think, you know, we should cook. And I think that's a lot of ways people are going towards that. We just don't waste. We just try to utilize everything. I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely benefits in every part of everything that we bring into the kitchen. So we might as well exploit it. And the default just gets better. I think that's where people think it's like, it's not like all overnight at zero waste. It's just you waste less. And over time, the bottom line actually gets higher and higher and of higher. Of course, of course. And if now you're just wasting 10% where before it was, you know, 40%, then that's better. No, and I mean, and it's, just, it's, it's, it's a continuous thing. It's like whenever we have something, like if it's going to waste, we generally have to bring something else in to make it worthwhile. But like, that's fine. Like that just keeps moving us forward. It just keeps pushing us down the line. And the nice part about that is like now when we have certain things, we know like, you know, there's, there, there's, it's a small restaurant and we have a pretty big menu. So there's always going to be stuff that like is at a point where we don't want to serve it. And even if that's a day, um, it's just, it's just the way it is. So we now have this kind of catalog of techniques and different ideas of things we want to do with stuff. So when it comes in, like if it's a root vegetable, we're going to do something with this about it. Like we always kind of have an idea and just kind of play with it. Incredible. Well, Chef, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, man. Taking your day off to come ah, here. We right. appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they find the restaurant? How uh, can they eat? Oh, it's Ferris. Uh, Ferris Restaurant at the Maid Hotel. We're at 44 West 29th Street. It's uh, right between... Broadway and 6th, and you can find us on Resi to make a reservation. You can find us on Instagram at FerrisNYC, and you can find me at the Chef Greg. It's pretty easy. Perfect. Well, we're going to play another X and Y song, and then we'll have Tommy live in studio here on Snacky Tunes. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you.
got bigger things to do. I'll grow up just for the fear of getting bitter. It's like a drug. I hold my tongue and let my mind get bigger. It's bound to get me by if they think I'm gonna die, 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 die. Hey, <laughs> were you bound to me? Were you? Were you chained up like a dog in heat? I can't believe you bite my leg and tie my feet and tell me. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, featuring spectacular plant displays year-round. On Thursday, August 23rd, Brooklyn Botanic Garden will host the Beer and Bocce Benefit, a one-of-a-kind garden party featuring lawn games, live music, and unlimited beer tastings by some of Brooklyn's top beer makers. Proceeds from the Beer and Bocce Benefit provide essential support for the garden's educational and community programs. And mark your calendars for the annual Chili Pepper Festival on Saturday, September 29th. New York's hottest fall tradition will set the garden ablaze with scorching bands from around the world, dozens of fiery food artisans, and hours of chili chocolate debauchery. Learn more about Brooklyn Botanic Garden at bbg.org. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We have Tommy live in studio. Hey. Tommy Jacob, good to see you again. Well, actually, technically Darren saw you, but we'll pretend that. I know, we can pretend it. I know. And you brought him ribs, and I was like, five years, I'm going to figure out a way to get them back. I'll have my day in the ribs. No ribs. No ribs. We, we, it was really last minute. It was like, we were having a lot of like rushing around. And Jacob was in Philly, so the, Jacob is the chef. So he really should have made the ribs. Let's be mad at Jacob. Well, it was so nice having you here. Get out. <laughs> Just yeah, blame the drum. Yeah, blame the drummer that doesn't have a microphone. That's like really easy. I know that's so true. Sorry, Jacob. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to see you too. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. It's been pretty exciting to watch. Thanks. I remember. Well, uh, full disclosure, our friend Jake was like, "I'm working with this person, Tommy," and I was like, "Okay." And then it wasn't realized that you were X and Y until we saw each other, and I was like, "Oh, oh, Jake, you're so you're so behind." No, he. I know he really was. He was like. Like three years behind. Ugh. You discovered it first. Oh, well, you know, that's what we do here. Um, one of the things I really like about this record is there's a, kind of two themes that I have seen. One of them is, is self-empowerment, and one of them is a fully realized voice. Um, I think that it, we played X and Y because you could hear where we were five years ago, and where you are now, like, what has been the process to make Tommy Tommy? Because even between the last EP and this EP, you can see a growth. Well, thank you. Um, it's been a 
long journey. Um, I mean, I've been playing and writing since I was like 12 years old. X and Y was the first time I was in a real band. And um, it really took a lot of, I mean, it was experimenting. It's like anything. It's like you experience things, you go through life, you, have, you meet other people, you listen to new music. Um, I realized at some point in X and Y that I was depending too much on other people. And I couldn't quite get the sounds I was hearing in my head out. And so I started producing. And when I did that, that's when Tommy came to be. What do you mean depending? Um, I was, we would, Jacob and I would go into studios and we'd have all these ideas, but we just didn't know how to execute them. And so it was really just like, I, I think of X and Y as like this, um, it was like a lot of ideas that just were being thrown at the board, but not really um, coming to fruition. And when you gave these producers the ideas, would they dismiss you or would they say you're wrong? Or, yeah. they, or they would just be like, well, she, you know, they would do it their way because they either didn't understand or couldn't execute it or... Right. Or they were just, they, it, was just it was just ego. So they were like, it should be this way. And then it's like, I'm this like 22-year-old girl in a studio being like, I don't think so, but you're probably right. Oh, you know what, what I mean? Oh, I, yeah, I actually even can envision you saying that like, um, okay. <laughs> well, and try. I hate all of this, but I don't know how to do this. So sure. Yeah. So then it was like, if I, then I, re at some point I had this epiphany and I was like, I have to learn how to do this because or else I'm, my career is going and my music is going to just be based on other people's opinions. So what was the process of, did you wind down X and Y and then just teach yourself the studio? Or what was the process of there was education? An, yeah, there was an overlap. It was, um, probably the last year Jacob and I were playing, which was, I think, really close to after we interviewed with Snacky. After James. you brought the ribs. After the ribs, maybe. maybe that was the, the pinnacle. Did it. <laughs> that was it. The apex of XNY was Snacky Tunes and Ribs, said no one, ever. That special sauce did us in. <laughs> but we, we um, yeah, so I, I went home like one night and was, and had, um, I mean, I was getting out of a breakup, and I was really feeling. Isn't it. that always the way? It is, honestly. Every every single thing, like it's like how I feel like every song, at, like the seed of every song, is because of a breakup. Well, whoever writes, like, I mean, I guess maybe the greats, or they have to find other people. Like, like I've got like a really great family and some kiddos, or not kiddos, whatever your choices, and a nice house, and I'm going to sing a sad song. Yeah, yeah. Like I still remember listening to Blink One Eighty Two. Well, after they've made it. Singing a song about breaking into their parents' house with a girlfriend. I was like, you have multiple houses with probably a lot of keys. You're not breaking into anything. But like that's the identifi the self-identifier exactly. that people can relate to. Exactly. Okay, so you had a breakup. So I had a breakup. And, and it was just this moment where I was like, I'm going to... I mean, basically I'd written on guitar since I was a kid. And I was like, I'm going to write on keys. And I'm going to open up this... I'm going to open up Logic, this recording program. And I'm just going to try out these sounds and kind of mess with it. And I just taught myself how to use it. And I'd been watching people in sessions for so many years that it was just like, I, just watching was so helpful. So I just knew all the commands and it just was really, it just came really quickly. Um, and so I wrote um, Carry You, which we'll play. And did you point. feel like that was the first song that was fully realized for what was inside of you? Yeah, absolutely. For the first time in your life? For the first time in my entire life, yeah. And we were like, fuck everyone from before. Yeah. For telling me I was wrong. Yeah, it was. And I was like, this is like, it was, it just, I don't know what it was. It was just like everything clicked and I was like, but I was really excited. You know, it was like, at some point it's like everyone adds to that 
piece, you know? But how do you, I mean, to go back on that, like, how do you find the balance of being, saying, no, this is our vision, this is what we want to do, versus someone going, I understand, but, like, think about it this way, that make a more collaborative process. Are you still in the, like, I just want to do it my way because I spent so many t- so many years being told not to do it this way. I struggle with that still. I think there's a really, really good balance that you can get, and I think it really depends who you're working with. Right, so that's when people find like the producer that's like, I hear you, and we're going to do it that way, but like, let's also try it this way. Yeah, or uh, best idea wins, which is the best kind, because then you're like, I think we should do it this way, and they're like, I think you should do it this way, and then you try out, you try it out, and you're like, okay, you're right, or I was right. Yeah, can we hear a song? Yeah, let's w- play. What are you going to play for us first? Um, I think I'm going to play What Kind of Love, which was the first song you hit on this. Which absolutely rips. Oh my god, thank you. Yeah. So this is gonna be a stripped down version. Perfect. We got Jacob on electronic drums. We got some stuff happening. It's gonna get wild. It's gonna get wild. Well here we go with Tommy live on Snacky Tunes. Thank you. 
I think it's interesting. You and Chef Greg have a similar story of having jobs that you hated. Uh, when you dropped out of Berkeley, you came down, you were a secretary. Um, what was that experience like? I was a secretary. I was a secretary at a chiropractic company or office. Pam the secretary. Pam the secretary for real. I know. And then I was a secretary at an investment bank. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if you worked. You probably didn't work together. Who? He, him. Wait, where was he? Not where you worked. Okay. I mean, I was really, I would have remembered him because he'd have been super chill and have tattoos and like be cool. And I was like just around just the the straightest people I've ever met in my life. Did you just feel insane inside? I felt, I felt like really empowered by it because every time I, I just like hated it so much that it made me work harder at night. Like I would go to the space after work. I would go to our rehearsal space after work almost every day. Like Jacob and I made a pact, so you just keep playing. Oh, yeah, two shows a week. Yeah, at least. At least, which is incredible given the time that people now where you are, it's like, well, we need restraint and we can't give them everything. When you're starting out, it's like that Beatles model. It's like, can we just play wherever, whenever, however much? Yeah, and it's and you should because it makes you, you get better at it. You learn how to troubleshoot faster. Like, you just, you understand what works, what doesn't work. It's really great. How long into the pact did you start to see improvement? I would say, I mean, I got signed during the pact. So it was really like two years, I think, after it was two years after the pact. I would say probably like a year into it. You're like, oh, this is actually working. Yeah. And like, and like we were actually getting, we're like, we were getting fans, we were progressing and like, and I was changing styles. Like, I, I think I, I only changed styles because, because I just was pushing so hard. And was it the balance of like, you're like, okay, every minute that I work harder outside of this job is a one minute less that I have to stay inside this job. Exactly. I couldn't believe I was there. After one year being there, I was like, I cannot believe I'm still doing this. I do think that people, but you were also making the music and the art that you wanted because you had a job on the other side. You didn't have to like compromise the art because you were paying the bills. Exactly. And I think that that's something that people, I think, I feel like it's only a recent phenomenon. We had, we've had bands in here that were bands in the nineties that were like, we had day jobs. We didn't live up. We were poor indie rock bands, like the Turing Machine guys. I think now everyone thinks at least through Instagram and social media, it's like, oh, I'm an artist. I'm just going to like make money off my art, which has never happened in early days. Mm -hmm. Short of like a handful of standout cases most people just have jobs and do art on the side and then it, it kind of does that dovetail thing yeah and i think it's but i think it's good to have a job because it keeps everything into perspective it's just really but it is really exhausting to do both and i think that's where people lose their dream because they're just tired so right they're like, and they're like i'm not going to give up the thing that allows me to pay rent and stay in the city so i'll just i'll just put the Guitar away. And I, I, I do want, do you feel like the two show week pact is like, well, we got it, you know, eventually the pact, which was made by the two of you, p- did take on a life of its own? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like the guilt of not doing it was so horrible. And and both of us would like look at each other and we'd, pre- like, it was just like this pressure that we just put on each other, which I don't know, that like... Catholic guilt is real and it's really good sometimes. Well, I've got Jewish guilt, but it, it also yeah, exists it's all there. The same. Um, what was the worst gig to fulfill the pact? Oh my god. Okay, we have this saying. It's called I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blast this place. It was one to, we could say, how good is this venue from one to the saint? And the saint is the worst. We went to this venue and honestly, right, we were there all night. Like we walked in, we were in like leather jackets looking all cool from Brooklyn, it was in New Jersey. And we go 
I get into the venue and someone immediately calls me a bitch. Like it was so crazy. And I was like, oh my God, it was all these like bikers. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get, like, I think someone's going to punch us. I was kind of a favorite Jacob because he was like the boy. Um, and so we were like, we watched the show, we watched the show, we're about to go on. And I got so uncomfortable. I was like, we are going to get, I'm going to get stuff like thrown at me at this stage. It was a packed room and we were clearly outsiders. And I looked at Jacob and I was like, let's go get the stuff from the car and load in. And we went to the car and we left. <gasps> I was like, we got to get, it. It was, we were just scared. I was scared. I got out of there. That was the worst gig. But that wasn't even a bad gig because we didn't even play. It wasn't no. even a gig. I mean, now we'll never know. Now we'll never. We'll know. never. It know. could have been the best show of my life. It could have. Been, they would be like, you know what? We're, we, we're tough on the outside, but we're so supportive. This is a trial by fire, and you didn't take it. Wait, can I say that the, the funniest gig that we ever played was when we opened up for Sticks? <gasps> like, come like, sail away. Like, yes. yeah. <laughs> was it Mr. funny because Roboto? Like, uh, where was the venue? Was it like that a, was in New Jersey too? Oh wow. New Jersey loved us. Tommy's big in New Jersey. Yeah. Huge. Maybe. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. Can we hear another song? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I want to play Carry You, which is the first song that I wrote for, for uh, this new endeavor. The first song that everything came together for. I know you don't love me like you used to. I know you're waiting around to make me strong enough to go. I know you won't come around no more. And after all, I could have been better. I've been all I've been lost up in my head, thinking that you'll be here forever. Belong, dear. I'll let you go. That's what you want. I don't belong to where you came from.
You mentioned playing guitar since you were a child, but you also kept it like a secret and didn't tell anyone you played guitar. True. Why is that? I thought I was a kid. I started playing guitar when I was seven. And everyone that like all like my friends played violin and cello and I thought that was so cool. And so I pretended my guitar was a cello every time I carried it around. Did no one like ask to see it or wonder why you were not in any of the no bands? One? No one asked any questions. I don't know. It was so weird. And then when I realized... When <laughs> there's I so first, much that's so weird about that, but yes. Yeah, no, no, there's so much that's so weird. And then I like, I like came out as a guitar player when I was like in fifth grade and my, to my best friend, I was like, I'm writing songs. Or maybe I was in sixth grade. I was, I was like, I'm writing songs now. And I played one for her and she was like, this is amazing. This is really cool. And then I was like, oh, it's cool. Oh, did you did you not have movies or MTV? I w- I kind of kept to myself. Like I was a super like loner kid, so I like really like was just playing music all the time and just secretly. This might be the first time in all of our years where anyone has said like, well, you know, it's just like not a cool thing to play guitar. <laughs> but cello, that's where it's at. Yo, sorry, <laughs> sorry, cello players, but cello, that is where people are doing things. <laughs> They're getting down to They're cello. getting down. And your dad played too. Yeah, my dad played. Maybe that's like, I was like, oh, parents are embarrassing or something. I have no idea. Also because no, it was, it all, part of me thinks it was just because girls didn't play guitar. So to me, it was kind of weird that I did. And I felt like kind of like a boy, like a, I was a huge tomboy anyway. So it was like just adding on to that. You know, mystique. Know. Is mystique. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe my, my mystique. My mystique, my secret <laughs> guitar. And I also like, they're not even the same shape. People are just... I had a huge case. My case was so big. It was, was it like a cello case and you put a guitar in it? It could have been because it was huge. I had this huge acoustic guitar, so it looked like a cello case. When did you find... And you mentioned before um, that you started listening to n- new music and that changed your direction. Who were some of the people that has really changed your sound and helped influence what you're playing now? Um, I really... I mean, I got really into Janis Joplin, but that was like, that was earlier. That was like in my college years. Um, I think St. Vincent. I love St. Vincent. I think what she, I love how she, she's just a badass woman playing guitar. Hello. The coolest. She, she also rips. She rips, right? She really rips. Um, World Cup Day. World Cup Day. <laughs> um, and I got really into Deep House. Like Nicholas Jar and like, just, and the Fortet, like just like, just re- like really like uh, dancing music, and that really helped get like open up my like sonic ears because I had only really listened to indie rock my whole life. Whole world out there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I know. And you know, drugs helped too. It was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> open up your mind. Open up your mind. Uh, so I know that you just played some shows in Philly, but what is on the horizon for the rest of summer and early fall? I'm writing a ton. I'm just kind of just in a one of those ups in the creative process. How is being on the road and like releasing this and now really finding your voice influencing the writing process now? It's, it makes me think a lot more about every single detail in, and which is interesting. It's like good and bad, but I think it's like for the good, but it's hard for me to like, I don't know. It's like, it's harder to like let go. Whereas, like, I think writing should just be, you shouldn't have to think about anything. Right. You're like, oh, how am I going to produce this? Yeah. As opposed to before, like, well, someone else will produce this, so I'm just going to give them the ideas. Exactly. So it's really thinking about what world you want it to live in. Uh, And what advice do you have for all the future Tommy little girls out there who are, like, dealing with men who won't listen to them? Guitar is cool, and so are you. So fuck men. 
Where can people find you? Thank you. For, where can people find you? Listen to your album, watch your videos, which are also awesome. Who designed the light bulb microphone? Oh my God, Tom Kerr, who directed the video. I love that thing. So I much. know, isn't it great? Yeah. I need to find one that can actually work. For those of you who've not seen what kind of love, you just need to. It's it's just so cool. It's so simple. It's so simple. I really love it. I couldn't put my mouth to it because it would burn my mouth. That's it was fine. like that hot. Rock and roll is dangerous. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so where can people find you, listen to you? Um, I'm on Spotify, Tomi. My Instagram is the name Tomi, spelled out, all, all of those words. Um, and the name Tomi.com. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you. And to uh, Greg Prochel, chef at Ferris at the Maid Hotel. I'm going to go eat there and eat all the things. I'll be there next It year. sounds really good. It sounds so good. It sounds so good. Uh, what's the name of the last song you're going to take us out with? Um, I'm going to play Think About It, which is off the new EP. Perfect. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. You have to get crowd applause buttons. <laughs> ah, there we go. Hey. Okay, let's do this. You're thinking I'm burnt out and tired of falling over my guilt I wasn't ready to say what I meant I was cold and not being myself I saw you in heaven, wrapped in a corner Rolling your eyes again When did a low need such a high to start over
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.